Hey guys, you're about to listen to The Tailgate, the show where each week we bring on some of the best comedians in America to talk about the Vikings' upcoming opponent. And as always, it's brought to you by Cambria. Family-owned and American-made, Cambria is proud to be the official countertop of the Minnesota Vikings. Learn more and get inspired at CambriaUSA.com. And hey, if you love the show, subscribe. We would really appreciate it. Y'all know what time it is. Hey everybody, welcome into the tailgate brought to you by Cambria. I'm your host, Cy Amundsen, joined by producer Jay Nelson, and your Minnesota Vikings are 6-1, and one, heading to Washington to take on the Commanders, and helping us break down the Commanders is... Not only a very funny man, but someone who I had in mind when I came up with this show. This whole show is supposed to be comedians. When you're a comic who finds another comic that loves sports and you can sit in the green room and just not be, you can just talk sports, just have fun and be people. That is what I came up doing at Acme Comedy Club in Minneapolis with Mr. John Conroy. John, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's good to be here. I can't wait to talk a little Vikings, man. Six and one. I'm going to have to start rooting for you. You're setting up for a, a, a playoff run against all my division rivals. So so I say that we came up doing that together in Minneapolis, but you as you as a young adult moved to Minneapolis uh, you were pursuing comedy there. You're originally from out at the, you know, out D.C. way, brother. And last week I had Regan and Chad on and we told like stories of our first time ever going to a game. I need you to tell people you have a very unique my first ever game story. And I don't mean to set you up like that, but you have to tell people. It's true. Uh, so when I was like seven years old, my father had tickets, but it was they, they were given to, you know, his best clients and stuff. But then that strike season happened and they couldn't get anyone to go to the games. And like people were literally turning in their season tickets. And my dad was like, well, I guess I'll take my young son to the strike game. Um, he'll see the replacement players. And yeah. when we were at one of those replacement games, which they went three and O while they were the replacement players and they actually beat the picket crossing Dallas Cowboys who were, it was like the, all the star Dallas players were back and like their scrubs beat with Gibbs, their scrubs and Gibbs beat Dallas. And, uh, I remember telling my dad, like they're going to the Super Bowl. And my dad was like, it was the age of like the Montana 49ers and the, like the, it, you know, it was 88. So the Bears still had a really great defense. Yeah. Like, They're not going to the Super Bowl. Like, <laughs> if they go to the Super Bowl, will you take me? And he was like, sure. Yeah. No problem. Like, just, <laughs> there's no chance. Um, they, they were terrible. They really were um, not expected to be very good. They had no quarterback. And I mean, even through they made it with their backups a lot of the year. Yeah. Um, it was a wild. Uh, um, and that, I just watched the 30 for 30 on that year of the scab where like Gibbs basically told all the Redskin players to stay like with union solidarity. And then all these other teams broke ranks and it really like affected the unity of a lot of the teams, they said, because they were like playing like the star players against the scrubs and everything else. 
And somehow the Redskins going through the whole thing, like Gibbs credited the whole thing for that run. So you're three and oh, you make this crazy deal with your dad that he's like, you there's never a chance that this is gonna happen. And then boom, boom, dominoes starts falling. This is a good team, right? We, you know, you we beat the 49ers that year in the playoffs, which was a huge help to you guys. My mom was a 49ers fan, and he was all year long. He was like, no, the 49ers are bar, by far the best team. If it comes down to it, the 49ers are going to kill the, Red, the, 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 the Redskins at the time. They're going to save our checkbook. Don't worry, honey. I'm not going to have to pay this. And then you all beat the Vikings. Anthony Carter had, I think, what might still be a playoff record. Incredible game. And my mom was like, well, are the Vikings better than <laughs> everybody? And he was like, I think we got about a 50-50 shot that we're going to have to <laughs> buy tickets to get this kid to a Super Bowl because we were home that next week, and it was a defensive struggle. But, I mean, we had – I think Daryl Green covered Anthony Carter for most of that game. I don't know that we are – the champion of of NFC championship losses, but it feels like it sometime. And this is just another one on the docket. It was, you're right. It was a, a defensive battle, but there was, there was this moment, you know, cause I've heard uh, my dad talk about this game where in the first quarter, the Vikings decide not to risk a long field goal. And they, in a, for a moment, they look like genius cause they pin them on the two yard line and that the whole game was right there. It was this 98-yard drive from that moment on. Doug Williams throws a touchdown pass to who cares? I don't remember at all. Kelvin Bryant. And then and it was just we're down 17-10. And then Minnesota drives all the way down at the end. And it's a goal line stand for your team. We can't, you know, we get down to the six, we can't get in. So you you beat us, and now he actually took you to the Super Bowl. The, yeah, the in fact, the final first down of the game, the, one of the strike players caught the final pass. And then, they yeah, my, my, my mom was like, I guess you're taking him to the Super Bowl. And like <laughs> we had it was in San Diego that year. So we had family out there and he he had some ticket. It, it was 88. So it wasn't I mean, it's not like it is now. It, it's not like it, tickets weren't thousands of dollars. I know that right. like the whole trip, probably. But um and we had we stayed with relatives out there. It was I, I, I mean the whole leading up to the Super Bowl was like nah Denver's much better than us. I wouldn't you know. And then they had that crazy thirty five point second quarter. Well, dude, what was being a kid like? I can't even imagine being a kid going to a Super when you're in the height of like anything's possible, and you're in the stadium for the Super Bowl, and you watch your favorite team thirty five points. Can you if I was a twelve year old Viking fan? You know, in 1998, I think it was 12 or 13. If I'd have been at the Super Bowl and they'd have put up a 35 in the second quarter, I don't, I don't, I don't think I would. There'd be people like you have to take your son home. He can't behave like this. It's it's wild. Like I was thinking before this podcast started, like even like a couple years, like a 35 year old Washington right. Commanders fan, a guy who's seven years younger than me could make a reasonable argument that Kirk Cousins is the best quarterback he's ever seen play for our team. Right. You know, like he's that out, like 
you know, 91, it was over for us for the last 31 years. We've been, he's been, Kirk Cousins is the best quarterback we've had for 30 some years. It, it also frustrates me because, and I'm not going to spend much time on this, but like we're such a, I shouldn't say frustrate. I'm jealous because I, and think of how pathetic it is for me to be jealous of your nearly 40 year old championships, John. <laughs> Two of them. It happened again in 91. We won in the Metrodome. I know. I know. That's what I'm getting. Yeah, that's what I'm getting. And in between there, you're a Notre Dame fan and Notre Dame wins a title. So as a, as a young kid, you get to go to a Super Bowl. Then you get to watch Notre Dame win a title. And then you get to win another Super Bowl in my building. I'm very jealous of your sports childhood. I remember my favorite part of living in Minnesota was always asking people, you know, the only team to ever win a Super Bowl in Minnesota, it's the Washington Redskins. You know that, yeah, right? great. Yeah, that's a really great. Jay, should we cut the show? Cut the show? Show's over. <laughs> Have a nice forever, John. <laughs> it's it's funny. The, the two teams aren't super connected, you know, when you because there is that 88 championship game. And then it's the only thing for me as a fan, because I'm a little younger than you, the only thing that comes to mind for me is Robert Griffin III. And he comes to mind for me, it's a two-part situation. Because in 2011, I don't like your field. I don't like your field conditions. There are a couple fields that if my team never played on them, uh, I would be happy about that. Soldier Field is one of them. And your field is one of them. And AP tears his ACL. We have two wins. You have, I believe, two wins at that point. End of the season. It is just ugly. And somehow the Vikings muscle up and beat you. And at the time, no one knew that, you know, it was Andrew Luck and RG3. There were these two unbelievable prospects. And I think there were so many fans that were like, why? Why would you hand them RG3? And I know players and coaches can't have that mentality, but it was infuriating. And then the next year, the next year, we the Vikings represented, in my opinion, the height of RG3 mania when his rookie season was taking off. That was the play. He looked like the fastest player in the league. That's what I'm saying. He looked like Vic or Lamar Jackson or Tyreek Hill. The fastest player in the league, no doubt about it. When everybody talks about that Michael Vick play in overtime where he ran, you know, split the defense, guys running into each other, scores a touchdown, throws the ball, runs off the field. It's one of the iconic plays in NFL history. In Lambeau, right? Vick torched the Packers in Lambeau, but that was against the Vikings. So everybody remembers that Vikings run. But I'm with you. When RG3 that season, when he got the outside and he was – coasting up the sideline, running away from defensive backs, a quarterback, running away. I remember thinking, I'm so glad we won last year. Like, just furious. We And that team, man, he they had the Seahawks, the defending champion Seahawks, on the ropes, and, and that field finally tore his knee. Yeah. And that was it for him. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what I said. I do not <sighs> care for the field. Part of, John, what I have to do for this show, I, you know, not have to do, but I like to be well-researched. I like to spend a little time. There are three moments that, and I don't mean to like, this isn't my thing. I'm not one of those fans that celebrates other fans' misery. But there are three moments in Commander's history 
that I have to talk about commanders, Washington, whatever, like old history. One of these doesn't matter to you. It's just fascinating. In the 1940 NFL championship game, you guys lost 73-0 to the Bears. It's the worst loss of all time. Worst loss in NFL history. Threw eight interceptions, committed eight penalties, allowed 519 yards, and it could have been worse. The Bears missed four extra points while beating it. I suppose you miss four extra points when you score almost a century. Well, that Washington team beat them earlier in the year in Chicago, and the owner talked poorly about the Bears and, and Hallis, so they had reason to run it up. My father used to tell me about that, and he was like, that's why you don't talk after a win, because oh. you end up losing 73 to nothing the next time. What a good, like, as a young football fan, that's a good dad story. That's a good lesson right there. My father was a Notre Dame fan who loved to tell me about like the worst uh, comeback losses they'd ever have. <laughs> so like no matter how well the Notre Dame, Notre Dame would be winning by 40 and he'd be like, well, they were up 42 nothing against USC in 1964. And that was OJ Simpson. And he, he ended up beating them 56, 49. Yeah. yeah. So. yeah your dad, your dad could always turn the, the moment of potential joy into a disaster. Oh, he, uh, Eeyore. We, uh, we would make fun of him for being Eeyore all the time, especially around sports. 2009 had two incredible moments. One, you snapped Detroit's 19-game losing streak. I remember knowing for sure we were going to be the team that, that snapped that. It was <laughs> I, like I had, could see visions of Calvin Johnson in the end zone. That year, and I don't even remember who was the coach, but this would never leave me as a fan. On a Monday night game, you guys executed the the funniest fake field goal of all time. You had this dude, I don't remember what the guy's name was, but he could really, he was a special team, he was the holder, and he could throw it a bit and he could run it a bit. And that year, he'd already thrown for one and ran for one. So you guys were this big trick team. And you're lining up, you're getting thrashed by the Giants, 24 to nothing. And you're lining up to kick a field goal with two seconds left just to get some points on the board at half. And then all of a sudden, there's like an audible, the normal field goal setup. And then all of a sudden, there's an audible. And everybody on the line runs all the way to the left side of the field, except one guy, the holder and the kicker. And then they motion like a guy behind it. So there's like a guy there ready to catch a pass. And the stadium, John, your stadium went bananas. They're like, yeah, here we go. We've been waiting for this. And they snap it. And all of the Giants players just pummel the kicker. He hail marries it like 500 alive into the air, gets picked off and returned the other way. And John Gruden, who notoriously made it a point to not criticize people because I think he wanted, he knew he wanted to coach again, lost his mind. Like, well, that was the worst thing I've ever seen. It was maybe the worst fake play in the history of professional sports. Uh, I can't say that one sticks with me. Thanks for not bringing up Gus Farrat, though. That's the one that sticks with me more than Do you remember how that game ended? So he smashes his head into the wall, right? They were losing 7 nothing in the fourth quarter. And he, he ran the ball into the end zone to tie the score. And then he head-butted himself. And the game ended in a 7-7 tie with him injured on the bench. 
<laughs> so there are worse things than losing. <laughs> you, that tracks. This matchup is really, really unique because you mentioned Kirk Cousins, and we're going to talk about Kirk Cousins here. But first, you have a guy starting for you that used to be on our roster. Heineke. Heineke was on Minnesota's roster. He was like, and and John, a lot of people don't know that he was like this lightning bolt for the. There were so many fans that thought he was this unique. They were furious he couldn't get reps, and and I think it's the way he carries himself. He was the guy in in preseason where he'd show up and you're like, did you see what he did? He's just a gamer, right? Yes. So to watch him beat the Packers, thank you so much. That was so wonderful. But that play when he beat the Packers on third down where they had to throw it, and he's like coasting, backpedaling off one foot, throwing it up to McLaurin. Like, I got that, like, such a big ball throw. I mean, the dude, it's got to be fun, even though he doesn't put up the huge numbers, knowing you have a guy that every single human being on the sideline and in the stadium is behind. Because that that's it's crazy because... He's not a top-tier guy, but that's what it feels like watching him. Those teammates love him so much. He does have that Favre, every man kind of people lo- love him. In a, uh, he's, the, he's, a, he's going to throw the ball into coverage, and you're either going to catch it and win the game, or you're gonna, there's going to be an interception. He's fun to watch in that way. There's never gonna, you know he's not going to put the ball four rows into the stands uh, on fourth down. He's not that guy. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna take the risk even when you don't want him to take the risk. That's right. That's there right. are guys in the league that fascinate me that way. Uh, weirdly, Jimmy Garoppolo is one of those guys who I think if you asked everyone in the Niners locker room, they're like, "Jimmy's the guy. He's the guy." And that always fascinates me. You know, Tebow had that effect in a very different way on locker rooms. I think Gardner Minshew kind of has that effect. Well, there are guys that have that effect and then they come up against Belichick and it's over. Yes. Right. He just ends their career in a game by teaching the whole league how to defend them like Tebow. (laughs) But But then there's those guys that for whatever reason, like they're always like making the play at the last minute. Or and guys want to fight with them. It's the guy, you know. Um, even when you're not the best athlete on a team, if guys feel that you're in it with them, that's all they care about. Right, right. It's an interesting mentality because. And, and by the way, when you said that thing about Belichick, I remember years ago. I mean, it's probably 10, 12 years ago. The Vikings were like six and zero. Oh. You know, I might butcher. I might be close to some factual information here but the Vikings were like six and all oh, that some great record they were rolling into a Monday night game against the Patriots and Belichick was just like you are not a good team and then the season just evaporated from us it was crazy yeah I mean that's I mean that's what happened I mean that's pretty much what's happened to Jared Goff he got all the way to the Super Bowl and Belichick <laughs> figured it out in a game and they're like now they're like we trade you for anybody and Hope and then Stafford ends up being a little bit better and he's the difference. I mean, it's wild. What does it feel like to be a fan of one of those guys? Because I think as a football fan, you want you want one of these five, you know, the three to five all timers that are in the league. You want your team to get an all time quarterback. I currently have a different theory about quarterbacks that I'm working on that I don't need to have a TED talk about right now. But is it 
where are you at on the Heineke thing with Wentz on the bench and, and wanting some stability at the quarterback because he's played a lot? Like the players might be behind him. What's this? What's the fan base vibe both now and kind of with a longer looking approach? Uh, I think everybody likes Rivera a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's not a lot of faith in Wentz uh, given how last year ended and how this year began. I think uh, there, I, I'm I'm optimistic. I feel like we drafted really well in like rounds two through five for the last three, four years. So we have a really good defensive line, mm-hmm. which is one way you get good in the league, have like a San Francisco type defensive line where yep. they're playing offense when their defense is on the field. Exactly. Or And I don't think we're quite there yet, but there's some pieces. I mean, Payne and Allen are really good players. Sweat's a really good player. I mean, if... Um, if Chase Young would have come in and really pan out the way, you know, that, you know, he was billed as like the next Lawrence Taylor kind of guy. And they always say that. And I actually watched that guy. So I know what the difference is, but, uh, but I mean, they have parts. That's bananas. When people say that, like even about Micah Parsons, because yeah. when they do, he's Lawrence Taylor. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You, if you're going to say that, here's the rule. If you're going to call anyone Lawrence Taylor, you should have to sit in a chair and watch a half hour of Lawrence Taylor highlights. Guess what? Ray Lewis wasn't even, he wasn't even Lawrence Taylor. I, he wasn't even near. Lawrence Taylor is, it's I arguably the greatest. He's in that category for me with Jerry Rice maybe Jim Brown, the couple guys who you're like, that is the singular greatest football player to ever step on a field. There are guys who like swing league titles when they're really great. And he was like one of those guys. And I think even those Redskin teams, the ones that won titles, the best units on those teams were always the offensive lines. Right. The Hogs, the ones. So the years that they were really great. I mean, I think in 91, they gave up six sacks for the whole year. Yes. So it was always like, it's the guys who laid awake at night trying to figure out a way to block him with a lot of tight end help. I mean, like you, uh, like, you know, Spurrier came in later and tried blocking no one. And we saw how that worked out. Gibbs really became famous just for bringing in more offensive linemen and tight ends that weren't going to run patterns because he was just trying to put more guys on the line to move Taylor out two more feet. Steve Spurrier is one of my all-time favorite hires, a number of reasons. One, I'm a big visor guy. I'm a big visor guy guy. I love watching adult men wear visors. It's very funny to me. (laughs) Steve Spurrier, all-time visor guy. He, and I, I will also say, Joe Gibbs, Joe Gibbs, I have followed, Joe Gibbs is such an interesting speaker. He's such an interesting personality. A, he looks like he just, honey, he shrunk his kids. Like he is such a silly looking man to be one of the greatest football coaches of all time. So I was always fascinated and impressed by him. And then he goes off and he's like, hey, now I'm, I run a NASCAR team. Like he's just, he's fascinating. Steve Spurrier is the opposite end of that. I remember him saying out loud after watching his first opponent on film that defense looks a little tougher than Vanderbilt's. And I don't care if he was joking. That The moment he said that, everybody in D.C. had to have gone, oh, no. 
I think in college, everybody, you play because the guy decides whether you get to go to school the next day or not. Right, right. In the pros, like pros play with their heart for guys they really respect, you know? Right. It's like, I remember, always remember that uh, Jimmy Johnson thing where he's talking about in Cowboys training camps where he'd hand out $5 to like players who were already making millions and millions of dollars. It's like mm -hmm. you appeal to the competitive instinct to the guy, the guys that, I mean, what, what the hard wiring behind people instead, you know, Spurrier was always like, I'll match up my guys against your guys. And you can't win with professionals like that. I'm going to come in here with my clipboard. I'm going to draw a play and we're going to outdo you. I don't think you are, Stevie. I don't think you are. The, the, the Vikings kind of have that going on right now. They have a really good culture where guys were seeing exactly what you talked about. People really, really buying in which is, I think you're right. I always think of those old, those 80s, 90s, or excuse me, those 80s Niners teams that everybody talks about. They want to talk about all the talent and the coaches, Bill Walsh and Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. No one ever talks about Eddie DeBartolo. I know Eddie DeBartolo got in some, some legal trouble in later years, but the big story with DeBartolo was always like, this was the guy, the first guy to go, every player gets their own room. We always have the best food. Everybody's treated the best. And these guys responded to that. The, there's a story out there that that's when Robert Kraft bought the Patriots, he went to DeBartolo to learn how to run an organization. And so I think you're right. I think that culture, and I think that's, we have such wonderful owners in Minnesota, and now you have a coach there now that the players seem to want to fight for. So you can kind of see how much of a difference that stuff can make. It makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. From the ground up, when you see people you like every day, it makes the it makes all the difference. Right. If it works at Google, it works in the NFL, right? If they right. if that model works in the it, you're you're 100 because it is work. You're 100% right. I'm going to pitch you something and you might scoff at it. All right. But cuz you know me, I'm a worrier. I think there is a chance that we are catching you guys at a bad time. Because Heineke has everybody fired up. Everybody's behind him. Your rookie running back, Gibson, is, or, uh, uh, Brian Robinson, is playing. He's looking good. Gibson is no slump, right? McLaurin is a beast. And at some point, I don't know how long until Dotson comes back, but Logan Thomas is now getting healthy. It's kind of like all these pieces are starting to get healthy at the right time. And when you got a guy like Heineke, I, I, I think there's going to be a moment this season where even though you won the last two games, it's not like you put it together. There's a chance that you guys all of a sudden, and maybe it's only for a couple games, but that you really put it together. And it it feels like that's not very far away. Yeah, I think we're a competitive team, and I think we're a, a live wire. Uh, I don't love our matchup with you because I don't know who we have for Jefferson. <laughs> right. Uh, that's my concern. I just think you're going to throw the ball to him as long. I mean, there's that he's, uh, to me, the toughest matchup in the whole league. And I can't, I, I can't see how we can cover him. Also, uh, Dalvin cook, I think could have a big day against us. I wouldn't be surprised if you could have Kirk back right now. Uh, no, thank you. You don't want him back. <laughs> that's a no, no. 
So that's the question. Do you think this is the first time, you know, going back to that culture thing, there was this moment in week one where he handed out game balls to the new GM and the new coach after the game. And any Viking fan should go watch that video. But it's it's the first time you've seen the dude bought in. And I think he feels like he's truly supported in his entire career. And you can say that being franchise tagged over and over and over and over. And then the documented, you know, different play style desires between him and the coaching staff here. I'm a believer that, you know, I I see where you're coming from. I think a lot of fans come from there, but like, I think the dude deserves at the very, I think it's going to go well, but at the very least the shot to go, Hey man, you've been doing this a long time and you're a pretty damn good thrower of the football. You deserve to have a situation where you are completely supported from behind because to your point, that's a different mentality, man. And I'll say this for him. Um, he's, uh, he's, a, a good starting quarterback. But to me, if you're going to win a title in this league nowadays, you need, and you're going to beat Pat Mahomes or Josh Allen or, or Jalen Hurts and that whole Philadelphia team, you're going to need, or Lamar Jackson, you're going to need a quarterback who gives you a little something extra after the play breaks down. And to me, he's a net backwards once the play is broken down. Speaking of legitimate football players, uh, I need to, before you leave, uh, I need to talk about you as a, because you, John played some football growing up, but you played with somebody who was pretty damn good. And I'm going to let you take it from there. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I was like, uh, sort of like star adjacent. Like I was an athlete enough to be on the field with the good kids but then like very quickly, once crowds started getting involved and this was that, like, I remember I played quarterback this one year and then we're going to start the next year and I was going to be the quarterback. And then I got there and this kid who ended up being the starting quarterback at Maryland years later was just <laughs> like a week late. So they're like, yeah, he's, he's the backup. But then after a while, they're like, no, this kid can actually play. And he yeah. even says in his book, it's like, I learned very early on that talent made up for a lot of things. And it's like, yeah, you're the kid that they, that all the coaches have nicknamed Superman. So they're going <laughs> to, I'm going to be on the bench eventually, but they, the trick play was then I was going to play quarterback and I would just get so anxious that I literally threw the ball right into the ground, but it, he would pick it up off the ground and went 80 yards. And he mentions it. He mentions it in his book. John Conroy is mentioned by name in this man's right. book and 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 literally you know he doesn't he doesn't make you sound pathetic which i think is very nice of him but he does tee up he basically says you he doesn't he doesn't really you know portray it as a great trick play as well as you'd like him to he portrays it as you thumping a ball off the ground to him but yeah you were supposed to pitch it and you one hop it on purpose he went really easy on me too. Cause what he doesn't tell you about that year, I think I caught about 40 passes from him that year. And, but I was terrified of getting hit. So as soon as I'd catch the ball, I'd fall down. And then I'd be like, look, a diving catch everyone. Like, <laughs> and I mean, he could hit me like literally like standing straight up and I just back down. Like I'm not, I wasn't going to get hit. I'd slide down. 
And so eventually they found him a receiver that would catch the ball and move forward after his passes. Do you have any rituals? Are you superstitious? Do you have a certain way you eat? Uh, you you watch the game? Do you eat anything specific? What's your What's your game day situation? Um, no, I'm I'm I mean I love a dog. I'm I, I'll eat a lot of food. I'm I'm uh, I get into it. Um, I used to drink like like some of those Redskin games that I know I took too sports too seriously. That's when you'd find me like I'm I was loaded and ready to go down in Georgetown for I remember the the second Gibbs years where we like it seemed like we were gonna break through. A couple of those years we spent it. Those were my college years in Georgetown partying. Oh, Sean Taylor scooping scores and oh, I miss those guys. Yeah. So your your ritual was being a maniac, which I could have predicted that. <laughs> I don't think it surprises you to to, to know no. that I respond to hooliganism. Yes. <laughs> I'm right there in the middle. Like if that's the assignment, I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm the one with the acid tongue. I'm not going to throw the first punch, but the first punch often gets thrown at me. Yeah, you're the guy that you could just be sitting having lunch at a park with your family around like a picnic basket and somebody jogs by and goes, let's get crazy. And before your family turns back to where you used to be sitting, you're jogging behind them with your shirt off. That's my vision of how easily influenceable you are by the crowd mob. I think it's it's guys like that challenge me and then like i tell them something about their soul and they're like yeah. oh no i wish i had never i thought he was a simple fat boy and he cut right into the center of me yeah i didn't know i had the power to recruit a man like that i've made a mistake let's all calm down how does he know my issues with my father like too easy <laughs> Well, we do this. Uh, I'm sorry. Nobody likes it, but I got to get a prediction from you. It's 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 at home. Your team is playing really, really well. Our team is playing well. What do you got? Um, I'm going to call for my first call. I'm going to say about 63 percent Viking fans at the stadium. OK, uh, for the game. Um, and um, but I think I, I actually I think we get a win. I think you do. I think that I think our defense, I think it's, I think we're going to find a way to beat you guys, even though I think you're going to win your division. Yeah. Um, and maybe even challenge for the home home field. I, I, this is such a crucial game for this team because if they can go to seven and one with the Bills coming up, I just, that puts you in this, you know, not house money, but. You go into the Bills at 7-1 as an underdog. You've done everything you can do except for that Philly game leading up to it. I just think it gives you this like, hey, here, this is such a test for us. This is such a great litmus test. That being said, you can't look past Washington. I think the Washington team that we thought we were going to be seeing back when you guys played the Lions, that is not the same football team. It is a very, very different football team right now. And so I'm going to go... I'm going to say Washington 10, Vikings 183. John, John, I really appreciate you doing the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, buddy. So good to see you. And thank you, Cambria, for sponsoring the tailgate. Family-owned, American-made, Cambria, proud to be the official countertop of the Minnesota Vikings. Learn more and get inspired at CambriaUSA.com. That's Cambria usa.com and hey guys if you love this 
We'll be back next week. Just search The Vikings Tailgate on any podcast platform. Go Vikes!